The former international tennis player Andrew Florent fought bowel cancer for more than three years before succumbing in August last year. His passing at 45 was a crushing blow for the Melbourne family he left behind, wife Rachel and teenage sons Oliver and Jai. Just three months later, Ollie was drafted by the Sydney Swans, their first pick in the 2016 National Draft. A dream come true to help a young man through a nightmare. Welcome you two, Rachel and Ollie. Thanks, nice Mike. to have you Thank here. You. Thank you. Gee, a lot's happened in a hurry, hasn't it? Sure has. We go back to August last year and it's the worst period in your life for both of you. Three months later you're drafted by the Swans <laughs> and your eldest boy's off to Sydney. How did you feel about that? I was pretty excited actually. Um, there's been so many bad things happening and it was just like a breath of fresh air. Something good came out of it and I knew Andrew would have been happy for that to happen. You were at the draft yep. when the Swans had pick number 11 yep. and said Oliver Florent. You're excited because your boy's been drafted but was there an instant feeling, well, I'm going to lose him, he's going to be going interstate? Yep, for sure. I wasn't 100% sure that he'd be going there. So it was like a quick wake-up, water-over-your-head sort of moment where I just went, wow, he's going. I think he felt the same. But when I realised it was Sydney, I thought, yeah, this is great. How important has football been to the equilibrium of the family? Um, very important. It's come to the rescue in the last six months, probably. Um, a lot of hard work since sort of under nines all those years, 10 years of football and now it's sort of been a bit of a lifesaver and a rescue moment for me and I think both boys too. Ollie, when, when your name was called out, how'd you feel? Yeah, I was, I was in shock really. Because on draft night you don't know where you're going and when Sydney called my name out, kind of just all hit me a wine saying, wow, i got to move to Sydney mm. in a couple of days. So I was... I was over the moon and I knew that I was drafted to a great club. Even though your first preference was Hawthorne, you grew up barracking for the Hawks? Yeah, I grew up barracking the Hawks. They give me a lot of joy over the years and now I've probably got to move on and <laughs> start barracking for the... Well, not barracking, but playing and, you know, living the life as a swan. You... I suspect Buddy would have been one of your heroes and you're now playing with him. Did you have his number on your back? Um... <laughs> Everyone had Buddy on his back and I knew he was obviously one of my favourite players but I always had Rioli, he, he's a special player. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. How's it feel now? You're still getting used to it but you're in the same change room as, as Buddy. He's now a teammate. Yeah, he's just an absolutely unbelievable bloke. He's so down to earth and helps out with the younger guys. I would have thought that, you know, when I got there it would be, you know, kind of, I'm just a new kid but yep. he's been so good just... We got a little bit of um, competition that we play in the in the locker rooms with the soccer ball and we get along really well, so yeah, it's good having him there. You were homesick early, weren't you? I mean, I suppose most kids are when they go into yeah. state. First couple of months I was in shock, like, through what what happened and everything. And then I moved in states, but I guess it was kind of a good thing. I feel like being up in Sydney, I don't have any pressure or anything to worry about in Melbourne. I can contact, you know, mum and all my family, but... For me, just living up there, it's just football, 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 and, and I feel like I've just turned a page in my life. How were the two boys uh, in the last months when, of, of Andrew's um, when he was so unwell and then finally died in, in August? Um, yeah, they weren't, they weren't really in a good place. We were going through BCE and Year 9, so um, there was a lot of hidden anger and 
resentment there that I was trying to deal with a sick husband and they were not dealing with the fact that he was going they were sort of blaming me that I couldn't get him out of it mm. and I was trying to prepare them for the worst um, but as soon as we went into palliative care they stepped up out of nowhere and grew up very quickly and realised that it was this was the last chance to, to get to know him and bleed any information out of him that they mm. could and so I was really shocked how quickly they grew up in that time. There was a beautiful story Emma Quayle wrote in The Age last year and talked about you spending your dad's last five days, you alongside him in palliative care. Yep. You slept in his room, didn't you? Yeah, me and Jai slept in his room yeah. for five, five nights, I think it was. Did you understand that, that even though they were looking at their father so unwell, that they needed to do that? Yep, I wanted them to do it. We all just lay on the floor and slept in there and helped him up to the toilet and, I mean, it's pretty revolting, but they don't regret one th one bit of it. Um, they missed a bit of school and but that's not what life's about. It's um, nursing someone that you care about right to the end and knowing that you've left them in a good place. It's the last mm. place. You said there'd be no tears today. Yep. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, the discussion with your dad in those final days? You make promises to each other? Um, what's, the, what's the tone of the discussion that you have? You know, it's just... I felt like I needed to just let... He knows how much I love him and, like, respect him. And it's just, like, me just saying it over and over again. Like, I felt like I said my goodbyes about 12 times. Mm. Like, he was only meant to last. Like, when we got there, he was meant to go in the next, the next day. Like, they said he had 12 hours and then... Yeah, almost stayed a week. So I pretty much said it like all the time. And at the start, he could he could speak, and then getting into the end, it's just like he was just listening. And I was like, mm. pretty tough. But when he was actually speaking, he was saying like how much you love him. And I actually filmed it because like it's just you know something that you can never take yeah. back. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty special. What was the yeah. most cherished moment of that of that week that you had with him then? Um. Probably just having that alone time with him one on one, in like it was it was real really hard and I, I guess I just needed to get that off my like just like tick it off it just mm. had to be done and for me to you know have that time with him just me and him was something that I'll probably never forget. It's interesting that that post his death, the people who should know say that you played your best football of the year. Yeah. It was, Pretty weird. It was, I guess, kind of. It's just like a release. Everything was released, and I didn't really have any worries because I knew that my worries were at home. Yeah, I just got into some form late in the season. I just pretty much just did it for Dad. I was intrigued that uh, the, the day after your Dad passed, that you were back at training at Sandy. Now the boys, your yeah. teammates, were also surprised, weren't they? Yeah, I I couldn't believe that, and I just knew that Dad would want me to move on and keep going and it was pretty weird actually I rocked in I rocked up and walked in and all the guys were like handball ended happy and then I walked in and it's just flat like everyone just yeah. stopped and you know I just kind of just said you know just keep keep hammered like just do what you do and yeah but that was so good throughout the process the club and made me feel really comfortable in such a tough time what a traumatic four years almost wasn't it for the family I mean, yep. your boys are so young, um, you're entitled to think that you've got another 40 years left with your husband and that four-year battle that uh, finally claimed him. Yeah, it was 
pretty shocking when we found out it was he was given three six months to live. So this is back in 2013. 2013. Yeah. Yep. And um, yeah, mum, my mum passed away eight months later as well. She was diagnosed in the same week as him. But we got three and a half years out of it. So mm. we had some great doctors who all knew what they were doing to get an extra three years. To say thank you. Mm. Yeah. Was there a lesson, a lesson in men's health here for you? You and I had a coffee a couple of weeks ago. You thought if things, if he'd been to the doctor earlier, things might have been different. Yeah, that yeah that as well as um, him maybe um, being aware of some symptoms that he had that he might have ignored a little bit and getting to the stage four, they couldn't. It was incurable. So yeah, it's definitely worth getting early detection because. Mm. With bowel cancer, if you know, 75% chance of um, recovery if you do get detected mm. early. That's pretty important. What's your emotion, Ollie? With this, are you angry? Are you uh, hurt? Um, what, yeah. what? Can you put a word on it? I just feel like we had so much, like more, and I'm just angry that he couldn't, you know, be there. And it just really, like, when it was all happening, I just wanted to, you know, like let all my anger out and. Mm. But not on, not on anyone, just kind of on myself and yep. obviously on the cancer and stuff like but that. But no one's to blame, are they? It's just, no. it's just rotten luck for, yeah. for the Florent family. Yeah. That's life, though. Yeah. Mm. You, did you stay in the room with your dad after he passed? Yeah, everyone, I think you left. I wanted to stay and I helped, you know, like... Help the nurses clean up and put new clothes on. And Gee. See, an 18 year old shouldn't have to do that. But that would have been just, your choice, was it? Yeah, I just felt like I just had to go through the worst with him and, yeah, just doing everything that I could possibly do to kind of, you know, send him off because you don't get that time back. So I get, yeah. When did you grieve? When did you have your, your um, own thoughts with you and, 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 and the tears that would have obviously happened? Yeah, I felt I was pretty good during it. I didn't have any tears. I felt like I was more of a... I had to be like a big brother and grow up and help like my family, because my family were really shocked and I'm shocked too, but I just felt like I had to nurse a lot of people. But then when it happened, I, it all just hit me at once. Like mm. When we actually found out, yeah. F found out that, that he was so ill yeah. or that, that he passed? That he passed. Yeah. And I just like lost it, obviously. Did you? Yeah. But you stayed in you stayed in the room. Yeah. I got over it after. I didn't really get over it. But I just stopped after five minutes, and then like everyone left, and I decided to stay. When you come back to Melbourne, though, you you still go and visit your father's grave? Yeah, I've I've been um, every time I come back, and it's not really like the same anymore. It doesn't really feel like, when you're looking down, it's like, it doesn't really feel like he's there. Mm. He's like up there. And... Mm. Rachel, two boys, 18 and 15, having to contend with this. I mean, you've got to be strong. You've lost your partner, but you've got to be so strong for the boys. Oh, for sure. Um, I feel like I need to keep being strong now, even moving forward, even their little steps to make sure that, you know, I've got to stay healthy and strong for them, because um, I'm it now. Mm. I'm, Mum and Dad, pretty much. So, yeah, if I can stay strong and happy and look at what we had and say thank you and move forward, I feel like they right. can do the same. What's the most powerful lesson that you learned from your father? 
Just that he beat every deadline they gave him. Mm. Like, he, they gave him six months, I think it was, at the start, when I was 15, and beat that for three years. And then when we, when we went to the hospital in the ambulance, they gave him 12 hours, and he lasted a week. So just like, you know, you've got so much more in you that you don't know, and mm. you can just push yourself to that limit. And I feel like when I'm training and like dying on the track just because mm. of the pre-season. I'm just like, this is nothing compared to, you know, and it kind of gets me through it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably just to keep pushing myself. Roger, you were teased, weren't you, in 2014, I think. You thought that he was in remission? Yeah, we thought he was in remission. Um, one more tumour to come out of his liver, cut that out, and then it was all over, which we did, and we thought it was great. Had a holiday booked and then came back with a vengeance, so... Yeah, it was, it was a tease. He must admit, all the people that I know who know him just was so uh, admired his bravery so much and how he dealt with it. And he wouldn't go into a wheelchair, is that right? Yeah, mm. refused wheelchair, walking stick, wanted to walk on his own. In the end, the nurses put him in the bed and just put a catheter on him and said, no, can't do this anymore. He but still he's, got up, though. He still tried to like get up. We were in the hospital mm. and... Nurses were expecting him to just f finally just like you know rest and go to bed, and then next minute he's like, "Oh, he get me up." Yeah, he's like telling, I, you know, I couldn't do it. He's well, like he, telling he, me I'm a shit nurse and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Thanks, Dad." <laughs> I'm doing my best. But he, he he got himself to the toilet, didn't he? Which you, I know you yeah. said you were so amazed at that he wasn't supposed to yeah. be able to do that. No, he couldn't walk, and the nurses were shocked. Like, how's this? Yeah. How's this guy still? going to the toilet, like just the little things. Yeah. Getting up, sitting up by himself, it was unbelievable. Tell me the day he came to watch you play footy. Uh, I think he was with Paul Kildare and Pat Rafter, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. How'd you go that day? Um, so, yeah, I got sent off in the, <laughs> <laughs> in the first five minutes or something like that. Probably Four? Four? Um, yeah, so this... A little bit happened that day. One of our players got taken to the ground and I just came came over and helped him out and kind of palmed him there and it made a really, really loud noise and I just accepted that I'm going to have to go off. And yeah. yeah, I got red carded. And Did a melee start that day? Yeah. Was your dad proud of you? <laughs> <laughs> Flying the flag for a teammate? Nah, well, I think they were both angry because Pat <laughs> wanted to watch me play. He came all the way from I don't know where he was, and then I got sent off. Which... Yeah, were you were you there, Rachel? Yeah. Mm. Mixed emotions. No, I've never seen him get pulled off the ground before. So Pat's like, "Is that Ollie over there?" And I'm like, yeah, "That's my boy. It's <laughs> coming off." I didn't deserve to be taken off. Now just go from there. That that was in. Um, July or something last year, wasn't it? Yeah. And then round one this year, the Swans are playing Port Adelaide at the SCG. Your boy's playing in the first and you're in the grandstand. Amazing how it changes and how, how it can turn. Oh, yeah. It was pretty exciting. Did you shed um, a tear that day when he ran out? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I would have preferred them to win. That would have been more exciting. But pretty proud to in such a short time where he came from a death to mm. a new career, um, new state, new life. Mm. Yeah. Were you surprised that you were in the Swans opening round team? Yeah. 
I would never have thought I'd be playing round one and to run out with you know, all the some of the greatest players in the AFL and then there's me. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna just really just just rattled about it all. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah. I remember how it happened is um, John Longmire pulled me up in front of the team and said, Congratulations again, your first game and I was just in shock, like I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And I kind of felt like a bit it's like something looks good is coming out. Yeah. Ha like happening now and Tough day, but it was good. So when he, when he, when did Horse tell you that was on a training Tuesday night or Thursday night? It was night? on the Thurs Thursday, yeah, before training. I think. Yeah, yeah. It was, I was running out in the warm up, and I just had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I was just still thinking about it. What about the first win, Ollie? Uh, you started with um, six losses. Yeah. Yeah. Then the win, the Brisbane game. Yeah. How'd that feel? That was, yeah, an unbelievable feeling. The typical Gatorade shower and... Yeah. Rachel, the Swans have got a great record and a great reputation for looking after the young players. Do you subscribe to that? Yeah, for sure. Um, Dennis Carroll there, he's been fantastic. I, you know, I never expected so much um, communication and contact in the first few weeks just to let me know how he was going, what I could do to help, what they were doing. It was really good to know. That what all the options were available. Whenever I came up, they would look after me, and I knew mm. that they were really looking after him. Especially the first week he was in hospital with dehydration. Um, were you? You didn't want your mum to tell that, did you? <laughs> Thanks, mum. <laughs> <laughs> was there a training uh, uh, yeah, story? Just, yeah. I just you might as well share it now. <laughs> I was just severely dehydrated and from training. Yeah, I think so. Not enough water. Well, you're in good company. Matthew Pavlich was... Uh, we spoke to him at the start of this season and his first training session with Freya, the same thing happened and he went to hospital with dehydration. <laughs> well, it fits with the, uh, the tattoo that your father had which says, love, courage and belief. Uh, that's the courage part of it and the belief. You've all got the same tattoo since Andrew passed, correct? Yep. Let's have a look, Ollie. Yeah, so... This, the handprint there is Dad's actual hand and he had love, courage, believe around it. So, on his hand, but he didn't yeah. actually, he had a snowflake in the middle and I guess everyone is kind of getting it now. I think five people have got it in our family and yeah, it's pretty special. So you had, you had yours done before he passed? Yeah. Yeah, you were after? Yeah. Yeah. Because with all football and that, you can't, you need to let it heal and... I don't know. Why did you have it there, Ollie? Uh, more so because it's hidden. Like, <laughs> I just didn't want to, you know. So it's for you. It's not yeah. for public show. Yeah. It's for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've both been very brave. I um, was really keen to talk to you because it's a very sensitive issue, but it's, but it's a, a real issue. I mean, it happens in lots of places mm. in the world. Uh, sadly for you, it's happened to you, and I appreciate your honesty and the fact you're prepared to sit down and talk to us about it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Former Essendon and Sydney ruckman Ryan O'Connor is the talent manager with the Sandringham Dragons. Welcome, Ryan. How did how did Ollie cope with the emotional trauma of 2016? Yeah, look, I, I think he did as well as could be expected. I think um, we were really mindful that at times he wouldn't, 
and we were trying to provide the support around him um, in a number of ways as well as from school and, and home and um, just provide, uh, um, I think, assistance uh, when he wanted to put his hand up and I suppose people go through different stages of grief or trying to figure out you know, how they're going to handle something like that, uh, something of that magnitude in their life and you know, he, um, I think in the end, it, you know, with that support, he was able to turn turn it around uh, in, in a way to be a real positive on the field and how he uh, even competed at draft combine. He, he did it for dad. So, uh, yeah. Did you did you people see the need to sort of monitor him and talk to him on a needs basis or did you just let him say he's one of the boys and it'll work itself out? Yeah, look, a bit of both. We've, we've got some fantastic coaches under Jeremy Barnard and we've also got a, a, a really, really good sports psych in, in Mel Weinberg and... Um, I know school also had support in that area for him as well, but I think it was really depending on how he was on the day mm. and um, you had to judge and, and adjust. Um, it was understanding there was going to be a terrible time and it wasn't shying away from how hard it was going to be and, and I think it's confronting that with him and then turning it and making him think in certain ways. So um, definitely getting up for games. Like the boys at that stage of the year, do an amazing job. They've got their school, they've got so many other pressures and for him to have this on top of it, um, he, I think he did a, a superhuman job in a way. What was the club message to the boys? Did you give them a specific message about how to deal with Ollie at that time? No, look, we, we spoke to them all about it but it was really more when he was there to try and treat him as Ollie. Um, try to have an understanding of what he might be going through but then also not to be awkward around him uh, in a way and uh, we wanted to make it a safe place for him. Mm. Um, you know, happy kids, play good sport, um, good young people, add to a club, all of those different types of things and, um, you know, Ollie was a part of all of that um, and, and a really important part. The day after Andrew died, Ollie turns up unscheduled for training. Were you there that night? Yeah, yeah, uh, I was and... Um, we were fairly lucky too. We had Danny Ryan, who was one of our assistant coaches, coaching down at Mentone, where Ollie went to school, and um, we weren't sure whether he would come along to training. And um, I suppose, yeah, the, the change rooms were, were probably boys' change rooms, mm. and then Ollie, you know, in, in a way, comes through the door, and everything sort of stops, and um, and then people react in different ways. And it was it was I felt pretty proud of our boys in terms of their response, and a couple of them went over and. And hugged him and, mm. and grabbed him and um, just tried to, uh, you know, probably share in the emotion of it with him. Um, but it is very interesting, young men, how they handle mm. their emotions and whatever. But I was proud of our group on, on how they got around him. Everyone who saw him play said that he played with a sense of freedom after his father passed. Did you see that? It's a, it's a funny thing, pressure, and, and how... He, the little voice in your head uh, can maybe mount it uh, upon you. I, I think in some ways he was playing for Andrew. Mm. Um, and I know I spoke to him a number of times about um, how he saw his dad's fight against cancer and how his dad wanted to be perceived as, as not um, not whinging about his lot um, and, and how he wanted to go out with pride. And, and I think that's what Ollie took out onto the field. He, he really wanted to carry that on. And, and I know he'll be doing that again now with the Swans. Ryan, you were sitting next to Rachel on draft night. How was the tension with her? Uh, yeah, uh, it was palpable. Uh, I can remember different stages during the night she was physically shaking. Um, and I suppose every parent that was there on the night and we had, had a few families up um, go through that 
where's my son going to go and, and all of those type of things. But I think very much for her too, it was about am I going to be able to protect my boy? Is mm -hmm. he going to be uh, in interstate? How's that going to look? All of those different types of things. So um, there were different stages there where, where we were really, uh, I suppose, trying to reach out to him and say, are you OK? Mm -hmm. But it was trying to weather the storm in a way and, and, and wait to hear his name called out. It's a tragic story, but it's also a, a quite a special one in terms of the family and, and how they've overcome it. You had a bond of sorts with Ollie, didn't you? Your own father had melanoma? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when I got drafted, my dad had stage three, and um, I suppose we're thankful that he was able to have access to Peter Mac and some trials and different things like that. And to, to try and... At different stages, I was... You don't understand what a person's going through themselves because of their own background, but... You're trying to make links and, and I suppose in coaching young men you're trying to get an understanding mm. of them so you can actually pull the right strings or provide the right support at different stages and I talked to Ollie about how I felt it at 16, 17, finding out about my dad and um, while it was quite a while ago, trying to actually say, mate, it'll work itself out and you'll be there and, and yes, it's uh, very, very scary um, but really try and savour the time you do have with, with them um, and in a lot of ways my dad my relationship with my dad's changed. He's still here, mm. but he's become a lot more like a mate rather than a dad. And I, I really saw that a little bit in Ollie and Andy. You see pictures of him at Hawthorne Games with Andy mm. or different things like that. Um, and the, I suppose the way they joked around and smiled at each other, th those type of things. So there was a real connection. I just want to ask you one thing. It was, it was the, the perfect year for the footy club last year in terms of his success. When the premiership came, was there a hollow feeling about it, given what had happened to one of your key key players on the way through? Um, mate, I, I actually think there was pride. Um, uh, sorry, mate. It, it's, it's an interesting one in terms of seeing people go through duress and uh, trying to mould people together. And, and you're looking at a group of... Uh, we've got 72 young players on mm. a list and kids are at school or you know, in and out of the program and you've got a whole range of different backgrounds and um, to have the Florence there and to experience what they were going through and try to support them and you just you do you have pride um, that these people have been able to actually achieve this despite, you know, what's gone on. Um, and I think that's our, in essence our story to all of the boys. We don't know what's coming but you make sure you're ready to grab your opportunities and, and really, really enjoy it and savour it when it comes. Um, and, and success is to be the best you can be. Now, whether that means you go all the way to AFL level or you end up at VFL or you go back and play local, you, you do everything you can to be the best you can. Um, so, mate, yeah, no, definitely not, definitely not a, a flat... Yeah, would, would love, love it him to have been able to see mm. his son play and, and play well, but a real sense of pride and achievement. Ryan, thanks so much for sharing the intimate moments from what was a roller coaster year for the Dragons last year. No, thanks, Bob. This has been a Fox Footy production, part of the Fox Sports Network.